Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this week's podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about translanguaging and emergent bilinguals. Along with that, some key terms we're going to be covering include emergent bilinguals, bilingual programs, and most importantly, translanguaging. That being said, my name is Grace. I'm Zoe. I'm Amari. And I'm Maya. All right, so to start things off, we're going to be talking about one of the activities this week, which was a podcast, which was titled Language Education with Nelson Flores. So basically, this podcast um, was an interview with, again, Nelson Flores, and he talked about um, kind of the bilingual and ESL programs that are out there in different um, schools and within the educational system. So a couple of things that I picked up were like some key points of information that I thought were interesting. Uh, I'll just read like, I guess, a couple quotes, but just some stuff that he said um, were students in the bilingual slash ESL programs outperform students who are in monolingual programs on standardized tests. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I don't know, I wasn't really exposed to any bilingual or ESL programs because, you know, I didn't need it because I just spoke fluent English. But I'm kind of curious, or I was curious when I heard this, to see that difference and like why there's a difference between those two things. Like if one person or if one student's in a bilingual class, like how is that, you know, I guess better than a monolingual program, especially on standardized tests. Cause I know that um, all the standardized tests I've done are all in English. So I'm just like, you know, interested in how that would go out to play. And also a couple other things that I saw, um, let me see. Ah, here we go. So another thing was um, that there uh, wasn't an effective mes- method for bilingual classes. And one of those unaffected or not effective methods was translating everything um, and having a strict separation of languages within the classroom. So a little bit more to say on that. Um, I know Nelson Flores mentioned or mostly talked about Spanish and how if you know students are learning things in Spanish, it's not just the best method to translate like every single word into English because at that point like why are you learning the language if you're just going to you know think of a dog in English as a dog you know like there's just like some other things that he said that were pretty cool points and then another thing that I said before the strict separation of languages it's not ideal because kids at home are not separating languages at home so it isn't what students are used to So to explain that, I guess, if students are in the home talking Spanish and English, you know, maybe, I guess, a little bit of Spanglish within the classroom or within the home, if you translate that into the classroom of strictly separating those two languages, basically Nelson Flores was saying how it's not ideal because the kids, it's kind of foreign to the kids to look at them as two different languages instead of maybe using some English here, some Spanish there. But yeah, what are your guys' thoughts about this podcast? I'll go. Um, this kind of made me think back to one of the other articles that we read. I think it was called the Translanguage in Context and like the purpose of it in class. I forgot the, the name, but the definition that they explained is like translanguage is described as like a classroom where a space is still collaborative, collaboratively. I said that so so wrong. I'm sorry. By the teacher and the bilingual student, bilingual student, and I feel like that kind of relates to what you were saying because they don't only speak. Like you said, they don't only speak their language at home, they gotta speak it everywhere. And if it's their their own stuff to it there, they have to we have to make a uh accommodations as a teacher to try to make sure they 
have exposure to both multiple languages in, inside and outside the classroom and not only at home, if that makes sense. For sure. And going along with that, back to the podcast, I really like my attention was brought to the way in which foreign language programs are racialized in schools. And I never quite understood the impact that a white person teaching Spanish has on the subject and on the classes itself. And without recognizing like the language and its culture and heritage, when you teach it, it's definitely not as effective. Yeah, I agree. I think you both bring up some really good points about like translanguaging and including more than one language in your classroom. And also going back to what Zoe was saying first about um, the standardized test scores. I feel like when students are learning or just speak to other languages, um, you're just like absorbing so much information at once and your brain is like open to like learning a lot if that makes sense. So then I feel like they can kind of take in information more and like process it in their brains like faster because you have to do that with two languages at once already if that makes sense. No, I definitely get that. And I was honestly thinking, as I said that, I was kind of thinking, because I, I I guess I speak two languages, or not I guess, but like not really in the classroom. But I know when I'm speaking to like my grandma or something like that, I'll speak in Greek. So I can kind of see now that I like reflected on like <laughs> the last couple of minutes, how um, when you speak two languages, I guess you have, I, I would assume that your mind maybe picks up on different like ways of translating like a sentence because you know like I guess kind of like the structure and syntax so maybe that knowing how to do that in different languages you can maybe just do it faster and more efficiently I'm assuming on standardized tests I mean that might not be true but that is kind of where my mind's going like if you already have spent like all this time learning two different languages I feel like putting both of that those like thought processes while they may be different languages putting those two thought processes of like maybe reading I don't know your language, for example, would just probably come faster to you. And then also, I just want to mention one more thing. Um, one more thing on an effective, because um, I mentioned a couple ineffective or not effective methods, which was the translating everything and this strict separation of languages. But one more thing that Nelson Flores mentioned was that we need to encourage students to use their bilingual repertoire, which is some quote that he said within the podcast. And basically, he said this to so students would, I guess, embrace their identities and kind of bring the separation of languages, uh, you know, get rid of the separation so that students feel more, I guess, themselves within the classroom, which I thought was a kind of cool point. Yeah, I actually noted a similar thing from the podcast and that not encouraging students to speak both of their languages in the classroom is eliminating the idea that you should be bringing your entire self to the class. And this whole idea has led to some sort of linguistic shame, especially in ESL students, because creating an uncomfortable classroom environment in this regard is just very unhealthy for the development of children and their security in themselves. All right, the next article we're going to be covering is entitled Translanguaging Classrooms, Context, and Purposes. So basically this article was comparing and contrasting various different classrooms that contain ESL students and also talked about how translanguaging was utilized in each of those classrooms. 
So to get right into it, the first classroom that was described in this article was Carla's classroom. So this was a fourth grade dual language bilingual class. Carla, the teacher, is from Mexico and is bilingual herself in both English and Spanish. Most of her students are Spanish-speaking bilinguals, and Carla's instruction must align with um, the common core standards, and students need to demonstrate English proficiency on the park exam. So that is a major difficulty that Carla faces in her classroom in being able to prepare her ESL students to succeed in these areas. So Carla herself is very comfortable translanguaging. Um, although she was not taught to use it for instruction, she found her own way to do so and implement that in her classroom. And eventually Carla did away with having separate English and Spanish spaces. And she allowed flexibility between the two languages in all of her classroom discussions. So that right there would be a prime example of translanguaging and doing this allowed her students to be much more comfortable in her class feel more themselves and the flexibility that was allowed made them more fluent in both English and Spanish and they learned how to use each language accurately. Yeah, so similar to Carla's classroom, then we learn about um, Stephanie's classroom. And Stephanie is of Polish descent. I don't think she speaks Spanish, but just like Carla's, um, most of her students are bilingual and speak English and Spanish. Um, and it says like even among her English speaking in quotes students, um, there's still some like nuances and differences between them. So that was like a very um, rich, um, like lingual environment. And she says that without even realizing it, um, she set up her classroom to make um, like translanguaging very easy for the students. And then um, she wants to create a multilingual ecology or just like an environment in her classroom where multiple languages are um, able to be used. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but yeah, I think that Hers is also a very good example of having a translanguage environment in the classroom. Um, okay, all going back. And that's like, um, yeah. Carla got Stephanie's class. Justin is a middle school math and science ESF teacher. He speaks English and Mandarin, so he's also bilingual. The languages that most of his students speak is English, Spanish, Cantonese, Mandarin, French, and Tagalog, I don't know if I'm not pronouncing that right, and Vietnamese. And because of this, Justin's group, group groups this in a class based on the primary languages that the students speak. Justin's role as an ESL teacher is to provide, provide his students the support that they need in order to succeed academically regardless regards to CCS, CCSS. He uses Google Translate as a way to assist students in comprehending any given assignments. And I feel like that's really important to do because a lot of teachers would just constantly say, what, what, what did you say? Or what do you mean? Instead of like literally trying to understand what they say. Like the internet these days is our best friend. So you can look up something if you don't know about it. And I think that is a good way of using ESL and translate language outside of the classroom. 
For sure. Honestly, I wanted to say a couple other things too on, I guess, mostly I wanted to talk about one thing in Stephanie's classroom that I thought was kind of cool. So one thing that I wrote for her classroom was that, um, similar to what Maya said, that she organized her students into groups that had mixed strengths so that they could all learn from each other while uh, while translanguaging with Spanish and English. So I guess I don't really have a personal experience where it would involve translanguaging like me and my peers, you know, using Spanish and English. But I guess something that I liked about the way this teacher set up her classroom was how she um, organized the students into groups with mixed strength. Because I know when I, especially, I kind of want to think back to like elementary school when my teachers would mostly, you know, separate us in like different groups. I know that um, my teachers kind of went about it in similar ways where they would separate, you know, maybe an English class. Uh, kids who would, you know, do really well, do kind of like fair, and who were struggling so that, you know, people who or the students who had questions could go to one of the students who, you know, kind of knew a little bit more. And I know, in my experience, I kind of like that because I was surrounded by people who maybe I wouldn't normally talk to, and, you know, so get to help them out and get help myself. So like I said, while I can't really relate that to using another language to help me with um, school, I could relate to it in a different sense where that um, mixed strengths within the classroom, at least for me, helped a lot. Yeah, I agree. And it's really interesting just like comparing these classrooms to see the different tools that the teachers have used to create like translanguaging in their classroom, like how Amari mentioned the use of Google Translate. Um, And then also in, I don't think it was this class, but in another one of our classes, um, we talked about this app where like, you would just have your student talk into it, and then it would translate it back to you. And then you can say what you want into the app, and it would do the same thing the other way. And so I think there's like a lot of really good ways to promote this like um, bilingual learning and translanguaging and stuff. Um, And like going off of what Zoe said, I feel like in my grade school, we did the opposite. Like we were separated by people who were all at the same like level as you. And I don't think that that's helpful. So I think that what Stephanie did was way more beneficial to to her students. For sure. And just to form kind of a connection to that, when I was thinking about this concept of translanguaging, I kind of was assuming that I haven't witnessed any of it or experienced any of it in my classroom experiences. But after hearing more about the ways in which these specific teachers use translanguaging, such as Justin's classroom using the Google Translate, and Stephanie mentioned how she reached out to other staff members to help her deal with students who didn't speak English as well as her. Um, my senior year, we actually had an exchange student from Asia in my math class. I don't remember exactly which country she was from, but she spoke little to no English actually. And my teacher did not know how to communicate with her and she could tell she was somewhat understanding the material, but without being able to verbally understand it, it was hard for her to catch on. So my teacher would actually use Google Translate in order to communicate with her. And at the time, we all thought that was just a really interesting way to go about it. We weren't sure if that was working for the student or not, but that is definitely an example of translanguaging almost subconsciously because that's exactly what she was doing. But 
it just seemed like the simplest way to understand another student and sometimes that's all you need to do yeah i agree that kind of relates to a kind of experience that i had at um school since i am we spoke a lot of aae in school we did have teachers that tried to understand like what we were saying by asking like the definition of words or like how to say a word or like what was a specific way or like what did it uh, what it mean and then another way they would try to do it like they would incorporate it into into like the lessons that we would learn or they would try to say say it when they would speak to us just so they can know like they understand the words that we're saying and they understand like the meaning behind them yeah i think those are all good points to say i also wanted to say how like at least um people or and teachers like teachers and students were putting in an effort to at least try to make their students you know try to understand kind of how what grace was saying like if nothing else at least the teacher is trying to use like google translate or some form of like i don't know um like i, I don't want to say translating but like kind of so at least a student is getting that um recognizing that people are trying to put in the effort to have them learn even though they may not know the language but i also want to say one thing about carlos classroom how I got, um, or I wrote down something where um, the teacher was taught to never intertwine Spanish and English within the classroom. And I kind of wanted to bring up how I don't think that was a very smart thing of whoever told her to do that, like to do. Um, I guess this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the podcast, how like the separation of languages can cause, you know, students to feel like they're not at home or not being like their truest self, I want to say. Um, but I just, kind of thought it was nice that Carla encouraged students to use their entire language repertoires and learn like what they know and use that within the classroom instead of, you know, going off of what Carla was taught, you know, and how to, I guess, carry out a traditional like English classroom that doesn't really include everyone. Kind of going back to what we've always been saying within our podcast, how, you know, like, um, standard language or standard American English, all that stuff. And I just wanted to point out that kudos to Carla for encouraging students to use, you know, what they know in other languages. Yeah, Definitely. And one last thing I wanted to add before we wrap up this section is that each of these classrooms that we just discussed were of completely different grade levels. Carla's was fourth grade, Stephanie's was 11th grade, and Justin taught middle school. And Although all of these students were different ages, translanguaging still came into effect and was highly necessary. Um, each of these teachers did that in a different way, but although they translanguaged differently, I think each of the methods that they used could have been used for the other ages. So I think that's definitely important to consider, and it might depend on the classroom itself and what languages are spoken in the classroom as to how much flexibility you would allow and if flexibility only works for younger kids or if it also works for older, but I just thought that was something important to point out that the same thing is going on despite the age difference. All right, so now we're gonna be talking about another one of this week's activities and it is titled Programs and Policies for Educating Immersion Bilinguals. So this article was more in the form of an informational text instead of you know following a traditional story or personal experience, kind of like the other articles. Uh, we're talking about. So within this kind of chapter, um, a little summary to give was that it considered programs and policies for educating emergent bilinguals. It describes different uh, different types of educational programs for emergent bilinguals. 
and it also went over reviews of educational policies for these students in a historical context, including um, various different acts and um, common core standards. So uh, one important point to make was that um, uh, mentioned key policies and the historical moments that have impacted bilingual education. So I wanted to give one that I thought was important and it was um, the historical moment when the Brown versus Board of Education happened. So this played an important role in protecting the educational rights of minority students to ensure that educational agencies take action to overcome language barriers. And then one more um, act was the Bilingual Education Act that I found, and um, it was the United States um, needed to provide financial assistance to local educational agencies to carry out programs designed to meet special educational needs. So basically these two moments in history or the key policies um, really impacted um, rights for uh, minority students and bilingual students so that they can get more of a fair education compared to, you know, like the monolingual schools and monolingual education. Um, something that I think is like really interesting is that there's like legislation or policies that are passed and they sound like they're really good and really like progressive, I guess. Um, and then they turn out to lead to more harmful things. And so like an example of this would be No Child Left Behind, which is mentioned in the article. Um, and that like was supposed to be very helpful. And then it ended up leading schools to just focus on standardized testing, which we know is like very harmful to some students and then also schools because if the schools have students that are continuously um, doing bad on standardized testing, then they'll lose their funding. And this is ultimately bad because we know like it can be difficult um, to do standardized tests in English if you're not like a native English speaker and other obstacles like that. For sure. And I think another important thing to add on this topic is that there is a big difference in the language ideologies that are embedded within different language programs, especially within schools. Um, so some schools have implemented a dual language program where others have a biliteracy program and some schools really enforce the importance of the seal of biliteracy, which I know a lot of us might have from our foreign language programs that we took in high school, but it's been proven that the seal by literacy just serves as a foreign language ability and you don't always have like the full knowledge or ability to the culture and the language itself to actually be able to use it as fluently as one who, could, who is considered bilingual would be able to. So some of these programs highlight minoritized speakers and their cultures more than others. So I think it's really important that we need to focus on creating a more cohesive language program across our country to ensure that everyone is being educated in an equal way. All right, so now we're going to talk about a video that was titled Cross-Language Connections in the Classroom. So basically, this was a YouTube video, and it talked about a elementary school in California and how this school really tries to incorporate translanguaging within the classroom. Um, it highlighted a lot of cool key points that I really never reflected on or have seen within the classroom. 
um, it showed how um, beneficial translanguaging can be um, for the students to pick up um, English and use their um, Spanish background. And, and it was also beneficial to see how the teachers went about teaching, let's say, um, English, for example, and how different um, techniques can really help the students learn and remember um, the two different languages that they're learning. Yeah, I thought that this video was really interesting and it was really cool to watch a group of such young students be able to use both of these languages because like we've talked about before, there were some students in my classrooms growing up that did speak multiple languages, but they weren't encouraged to do so. So I didn't really have much exposure to young kids speaking another language. So I thought it was really cool to see the way in which two different languages were used fluently within this classroom and the flexibility that was allowed and also encouraged within the teacher. So I thought the video also was very informative and the teacher talked about the methods in which she used to allow this in her classroom and what worked versus what didn't. So I thought it was very helpful in that way. Yeah, I agree. It was really cool seeing like how young the students were and that they're learning about this. And I appreciate it because a lot of times like apps like bigger um like complex concepts into like a classroom with kids at such a young age um but like when it comes to language it's really important to do that because you know like you pick up languages a lot better when you're younger so i think it was really cool to see that Um, I also wanted to add a couple more things on this video. So I thought one thing that was cool that I know the students in the video seemed, I guess, excited to learn about was when one of the teachers were teaching the different cognates. I don't know if you guys remembered that, but basically, I mean, I'm assuming everyone knows what a cognate is, but it's basically one like um, Spanish word is similar to an English word. And then um, I remember watching and seeing one of the students is like little boy saying like, oh, like they're like similar or oh, like someone else pointed out how um, the placement of adjectives was different when speaking Spanish and English. And I know some, I, again, that same like little boy was saying how he recognized that there's different locations of the adjectives and how that relates to him speaking Spanish versus English. So I just thought it was cool how, like Maya said, these like young students can already learn the differences between these two languages, which can further help them, you know, carry out different, um, I guess, like analyzing uh, English words and stuff like that. <laughs> so how would you guys say, based on all of the different uh, translanguaging instances, instances we've learned about this week, in what ways would you guys implement translanguaging into your own future classrooms? That is a good question. Um, I feel like I don't know much Spanish and I'm not like, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? An ESL endorsement. Um, but I would wanna try and learn some like key Spanish phrases or whatever language is like most relevant to my classroom to make it like more meaningful, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, just including like, labels and stuff in different languages other than English. 
No, I definitely agree with you, Maya. I also, I mean, I don't know if I would be maybe incorporating so much Greek into the classroom because I know, you know, I doubt many students in my class are going to be Greek and, uh, and are from Greek like descendants. But I would want the students to maybe educate me as well on their own background and language, maybe teach me a couple phrases like you were mentioning, teach, you know, stuff that I might not know that is important to them and where they come from. And also, I always just try to incorporate kind of how the or the teachers were doing in that video that we just talked about, how I would encourage them to, you know, use what they know from their Spanish background into helping them answer, you know, maybe a uh, like language arts grammar quiz or something and knowing that, oh, wait, like, in Spanish, the adjective comes first or whichever way it is. And so now I know in English it doesn't, or, you know, something like that is something that I might try to help incorporate. And plus, going back to when we talked about the different classrooms and like how Carla, you know, encouraged her students to use all their language stuff, I would try to do that, like I just mentioned. And maybe also me, from my personal experience, having that mixed strength, like group classroom like discussions I would maybe want to do that because I know it helped me and it seemed to help these students in Stephanie's classroom so I think I would try to do stuff like that yeah similar to what um Zoe and Maya were saying I would kind of like learn like little stuff both in each language I can like just show my students that I care about like their, their, their other language that they have and I will also like try to um, include different readings in, with different languages. Like if we have a reading in science class and someone who is not comfortable speaking English there, I would try to incorporate the language that they, try to incorporate the reading and the language that they are comfortable with. You know, and just like in Justin's classroom, I would try to use Google Translate or some other translated app to help me better understand what my my students are saying instead of just assuming and just forgetting about what they are saying. All right, so I think that's all we have to for this week's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed. And again, to summarize what this week's topic was, we talked about translanguaging and immersion bilinguals. We also mentioned the different key terms within our discussion that include immersion bilinguals, bilingual programs, and translanguaging. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's podcast and tune in for next week.